my script just in case I forgot my lines. <laughs> it's happened. Dallas Willard said, The Lord is my shepherd is written on many tombstones more than lives. What does it mean that the Lord is your shepherd? What does it look like in your life that Jesus is the good shepherd? I don't know if there's any shepherds in this congregation. Anyone taking care of lots of flocks of sheep or have done it maybe in some portion? I, I have not, so I had to do a lot of research on sheep caring. But even in the Western tradition, even in the Western world, uh, taking care of sheep is different than how they took care of sheep in Jesus' day in the ancient Nietzsche culture. So I, I think it's important to understand a little bit how they did it so you can understand this parable a little bit more. So shepherding back at that time, it was usually done as a local community. I mean, a lot of people were shepherds, and so they would have their own flocks, and by the day, the shepherd would lead their flock out into the open grass, and they would feed, and they would care, and they would defend their own sheep, and they just kind of wander around. But at night, that shepherd would bring them into a, a local fold or a local pen, and so they didn't have their own individual pen. They, the local community had one little fold, and they brought them into that fold, and then the shepherds together collectively hired a watchman or a guard to watch them at night. And so there was one person guarding and the rest of the shepherd would leave. But so the, the shepherd could always come to the fold and go in. He was only allowed to go in. So that's what the watchman knew. The guard could let, let the, any shepherd in. But the sheep, they would know their shepherd. They would train him by the voice. So a shepherd would go come alongside of the, the fold and he could call out his sheep. And that's how they would gather their own sheep among all the sheep as they're intermingling. And they would gather just by the voice of the shepherd. They wouldn't go to another shepherd's voice. In, in a Western kind of world in which we shepherd people, they don't do that with their voice. They, they use sheepdog and they kind of corral them and, and move them along. And, uh, and so they, they push them. But a shepherd actually leads, back in that time, by the sheep would follow their voice. And so he would actually be in front of his flock. It's kind of important to understand, as Jesus talks about in this parable in John 10, 1 through 5, where he says, truly, truly, like, that truly, truly is that word, it's, it's the word we use for amen. That's this truth, like, really pay attention. This is the truth. I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The, shepherd, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. The context in which Jesus speaks this parable, if you remember last week, he's this, this healing of the blind man and the Pharisees, and they're confusing the blind man that he thinks that he is he's blind because of his sin from his birth or his parents' sin from his birth. So he's isolated. And then Jesus makes, no, 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 it's a parable. He actually can see, but you spiritually cannot see. You are blind. The leaders, the shepherd of the flock of God are blind and cannot see. And he hits them with this parable about shepherds. It is pretty 
heavy-handed because this is a, it's a parable about someone coming in and stealing God's sheep and devouring them and harming them. I mean, it's allusion to this, this prophecy that's spoken in Ezekiel 34, 7 through 10. That's all in Ezekiel 34, but just a few of those words in Ezekiel 34. God says, Therefore, you shepherds, he's talking to uh, the spiritual leaders of Israel, hear the word of the Lord as I live, declares the Lord God. Surely, because my sheep have become a prey, and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. This is an angry prophecy. God is angry for what his shepherds have done. He says, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds. And I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. It goes on in verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. And then 15 and 16, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord our God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the stray, and I will bind up the injury, and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong, and I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. That's a lot of eyes. This is God who is angry against the people who ought to know better, who ought to take care of the people of God and point them towards God through God's words and through his commandments. And what does God do? How does he rectify this situation? How does we resolve this as, this as his sheep are victims and are helpless against shepherds that are all about themselves? What does God say he will do? I will punish the shepherds, and I, I will be their shepherd. I will be the new shepherd. I won't rely on a hired hands anymore. I will lead. I will save. I will feed. The gospel is this. Hear it clearly in this prophecy and in the context of what Jesus is saying. The gospel is God alone saves his people. God alone saves his people. He is the shepherd. Everyone else leads away. God intimately knows his sheep. He intimately knows. It's personal to him. He leads his sheep. He doesn't have to do anything else. He speaks and his sheep understand. They will follow. Did you hear it in the, in the parable in which Jesus said, what do the sheep do? They listen to their shepherd. They know. You see, the Pharisees have some good intention, but their intentions, they devour and they harm the sheep. They don't even know God's people. Think of the blind man. They cast him out. They blame him. They're not shepherding him. They don't even know him. They don't care for him. 
But God cares. Jesus cares. This is his child. This is his sheep. He knows him personally. The Pharisees, proving that they don't even know who this man is, proving that over and over, they don't even know who God is. God is standing right in front of them, and they can't even recognize him. This is a judgment upon them. This is evoking Ezekiel 34 and judging the Pharisees upon them. In John 10, 6, he even makes it clear. They don't even understand who Jesus is, and they don't even understand him. They don't even understand his words. In John 10, 6, it says, he, as he speaks this parable, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, the Pharisees, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. How do I make it clear? What do the good sheep, or what, sorry, what do God's sheep do in this parable? What do God's sheep do in this parable in John 10? The first thing they do that recognize who is God's sheep is they recognize his voice. They know the shepherd intimately. They know who he is. They also, they don't recognize the voice of strangers. They don't understand. So I want you to understand very clearly. I, the other elders of this church, are not your shepherd. We are, the, we are under shepherds, would be a better way. Christ makes it very clear. He is your shepherd. The only time you ought to follow us is when you recognize the voice of God and the word of God coming from us. When you do not recognize it, do not follow. Ignore. Wait till you hear the shepherd's words and the shepherd's voice. That's what sheep do. So uh, there's a responsibility, side responsibility of the sheep. You ought to begin to understand and spend time with God so you know what his word is and what his voice is. That's the first thing. They recognize his voice. The other thing they did do, they obey the voice. They follow. They trust the shepherd. They know that the shepherd provides for them, that guards them, that the shepherd does what is good for them. They don't, avoid, uh, uh, they don't obey the voice of strangers. But they flee from strangers. They scatter because there's no trust. They know that there's one person that's going to care for them. The others are going to be brutal and harsh because they don't come in the proper way. That's what God's sheep, they recognize his voice and they obey and they follow. And then Jesus switches the whole parable up. He says, I am the good shepherd. And then he says in, John, in verse 7, so Jesus again said to them when they didn't understand, truly, truly, pay attention. I am speaking truth. I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Here's this fold. I am that door. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus is saying, I am the fulfillment of Ezekiel 34. 
I am this good shepherd, and I'm the way. I am the one that guards the sheep. I am this door. That everyone else is a thief and a robber. Everyone else has to climb over and convince and, and confuse the sheep, steal and harm them. But the only one that gets to go through this door, not other shepherds, is the sheep get to come in and out as the shepherd guides them. And Jesus says, I am that door. I am the avenue. There is no other door into this pen, into this fold, into my safety, into my protection, into my people. Jesus is the door. It is an exclusive claim that only the sheep can come through him. It, I mean, this is where we get in John 14, 6, when Jesus clearly says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. He is the only way for the sheep. There is no other shepherd. There is no other way, and there's no other access to rest. There is no other access to safety. Every other way, every other voice in this world will ultimately destroy God's sheep. Hear that very clearly. Every other voice except for God, the good shepherd, will destroy and harm God's sheep. So if you are following my voice, and it is not God's through me, or it's not God's voice, or God's words, or God's commandments, or God's wisdom through me, my words will destroy you. If it's my way. Every other philosophy, every other religion, there's only one shepherd. There's only one voice. Everyone will ultimately lead to death and destruction and harm. But Jesus says, look at, I don't just bring life. I give my sheep abundant life. And this isn't just... Uh, I don't like the reason that word just, but I, I use it too much, right? It's a terrible qualifier. It's not only abundant, everlasting life that goes on and on forever, which is hard enough for us to comprehend. But that's not what he's saying. It says, I'm dealing in life in its fullest right now. He is the author and sustainer of life. He says, this is what I give my sheep every moment. It's not just forever in time and space. It's forever in time and space beyond, but in fullness of all things. This is the abundant life that Jesus gives. What a comparison. Everything else destroys. He gives life, not just existence, but to its fullness and peace and harmony. Jesus goes beyond to explain that this is his way. In, John, in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. I am the door and I am also the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And then he repeats this phrase four times. I lay down my life for the sheep. I think it's important if he repeats it four times. I lay down my life for the sheep. What do God's sheep do? What do God's sheep do? They know his voice, they recognize it, and they obey God. They follow his voice. The people know the voice of God, they recognize it, and they obey. They follow. 
Jesus models, he's, he's, he's our good shepherd, but he also models what it means to be a sheep. He shows us what it means to be a sheep of the good shepherd. I'll explain this in John 10, 14 through 15. It says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay my life down for the sheep. Just as the relationship is between the good shepherd and his sheep, he's saying, so is the relationship between the good father and his one and only son. I'm modeling this and what it means. It was, I know my father. Because the Father knows me. I know his voice. I know his will. And I always do his will. Just like a sheep ought to know the shepherd's voice. And always goes where the shepherd leads them. Jesus models says, look, at this is how my relationship is with the Father. The Father, Son, mutually knowing each other. The shepherd and the sheep mutually knowing each other. This is the model which Jesus gives us. He obeys and the sheep ought to obey. So why does Jesus do this for the Father? He's modeling, I want to, it's important. If he's modeling what it is to be a sheep to a shepherd, to the good shepherd, why does Jesus obey the Father? It's in verse 17. Very clearly. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay my diet down that I may take it up. Love, love is the foundation. Love is the foundation of the Father and the Son's eternal relationship. This is something that's so unique to Christianity. All others... Uh, faiths all over monotheistic faiths they'll talk about a singular god and they'll talk about god as sovereign which we like god as creator which we like but the starting point for christians in understanding who god is is not as creator not as sovereign those are all true but that he is triune that he reveals himself as father son and holy spirit and why does he reveal this in this way because the foundation of all those relationships is love the first thing God knows about us, that he teaches us about him, is love. I'm in a, God's in a mutually loving relationship. This one God doesn't need love. He always has love. He's always experienced. This is the very beginning of understanding the Trinity. The Father so loves the Son, and the Son eternally so loves the Father. This is the eternal relationship of love that is giving the son lays down his life for the God's sheep because of this eternal relationship. The son loves the father so much that he lays down his life for his sheep. The father loves the son so much that he actually gives the sheep to the son because he knows the son loves him so much that he'll lay his life down for the sheep. This is the eternal relationship between the Father and Son. And it's, we get this idea of this foundation of this relationship when it's in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. For God so loved, we could say, his sheep, his people. He gives. 
he gave. Like this, this, is, this is the outflow of love in our lives. It creates. It gives. It flows. It flows so much that the Son is believing the living give his life. True love, God's love, has creative, life-giving, transforming power. It changes things. God's love changes us. The shepherd's love changes the sheep. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. This is, this is the definition of love. There is no greater definition of love. This is, in the conversations with anyone, you can ask them, define love. This is a great conversation to have with anyone. Define love because this is, a, love. most people like love. You just go out in the world, most people like love, right? But we all have different kinds of definition of love. The starting point of love for God is this, self-giving, lay down your life. No greater definition of love. Love, by definition, is self-sacrificing, is self-giving. Here's what I mean. Love, by definition, is not getting. It's giving. That's the definition. It is self-giving, giving all of myself to someone else. Think about your relationship to God. God loves you so much, he gives all of himself for you. So much embodied it into his son in which his son actually lays down his life for you. What does he want in return? This is the golden rule. He wants you to love him so much. Give everything for him. Glorify him in all things so that you will lay down your life. Self, give yourself to him. How do you express that to him? He says, do it by loving your neighbors, by giving yourself to others, to demonstrate my love to others by giving of yourself. The father gives the sheep to the son. The father loves the son, so, the son, so he loves the sheep. Let's push, push this a little bit further. Love is the foundation of obedience. I actually talked about this with the Utes this morning. Right, I pushed it hard. What, like, why do they obey their parents? Why do you obey your parents? And they had some great answers, right? But this is the this is the answer. Because you love them. Because you love them. Because you know they love you. But ultimately, it's whether they love you or not. You love them, so you obey them. Love is the foundation. It's motivated. Obedience is motivated by love. Any resistance to do so, any resistance to obey God is not love. Make that very clear in your life. Any resistance, and, and there is resistance in our lives to obey God, right? We all agree with that. And there's actually not the resistance, it's outright defiance to obey God. That is not love. Just make it clear for you. That area in life in which you are not loving God. But self-giving, lay down your life, is the definition, is the expression of God's love. Any different thing, different expression of love, any different definition, you're listening to another shepherd. You're not listening to God. He makes it very clear. He, doesn't, he speaks it very clearly, and then he lives it out very clearly. 
follow me, sheep. This is my way. This is the way of love. What do God's sheep do? They recognize his voice. They know their shepherd. They know him well. And they obey. They obey the shepherd because they know the shepherd loves them and they love the shepherd. They obey his voice. How do we know and obey? How do we know and obey God? Because the shepherd loves us. I want you to start right there. We don't know and obey God because we love him. We know and obey God because first, he loves us. 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. The motivation of our relationship with God is love. The motivation ought to be in any relationship you have in this world is love. Is love. Self-giving love. We only love because Jesus loves us and demonstrates how he loves us as our good shepherd. What does our obedience look like then? What does our obedience look like? If we know and obey and we're motivated because he first loves us and so we, we love him, what does our obedience look like in this life? We know it's ought to follow him. He's, already, he's began to show us this way even in this passage, meaning we ought to love like him. Your obedience to God starts with learning to love like him. Learning to love by self-giving. What is the summary of God's love in Scripture? We know this. How would you summarize the love of God in Scripture and his commandments, his rule, what love is? How do you ought to do it? What is the great commandments? Love God, love your neighbor. It, it, but it starts with this. The, the great commandment is love God. They ask him what the great command, they ask Jesus what the great commandment is. He says, love God with your heart, mind, soul, strength. But then he adds this kicker in, right? It says, and you ought to love your neighbor as yourself. And both commandments are in the Old Testament. He's just combining together. But you can't, you can't, it doesn't start with love of your neighbor. You see, you do not love your neighbor unless you love, your, love God. Because you do not have the definition or the way of love. Unless God loves you first. You don't understand it in the fullness, the abundance of this love. More so, I, I want you to understand, the love of neighbor flows out of God's love for you and your learning to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And when I properly love God with my heart, mind, and soul, then I begin to have the capability to love anyone with my heart, mind. I can lay down my life. Motivation of loving neighbor is loving God. Just as the Son loved the Father by loving us. Right? His motive, the Son's motivation to love us is because of the Father's love for him and his love for the Father. This is how we obey, by following this pattern, this way of love. Let me give you a practical example. There's lots of examples I can give. Of how do we actually obey and follow the voice of our shepherd? 
one of the most common issues in the last two years in this pandemic. I mean, uh, we've talked about it as elders. Uh, we've talked as there has been an exorbitant amount of marital crisis and marital issues coming my way. And here's the thing. I've talked to all my pastor's friends, and they have the same comment. Is there something in the water? No, because it's all, it's all across people I know. So one of the things they said is it's because those of us that are married know marriage is hard. Really hard. Why? Because you, you duplicate the number of sinners in your life. This makes it extremely hard. And then when you have kids, it's just, you know, out of this world, right? The number of sinners that you have in your household. And so it becomes really hard. And then I just think, so that's hard enough as it is. And we, all of us, begin to listen to another shepherd's voice. And our love is not expressed in the way that God's love is meant to be expressed, or even what love is. And so we think we're loving, but we're actually not self-giving in the way that God is self-giving. We're self-taking. This is how you ought to love me. This is what I need. None of those are necessarily bad things, expressing what you need. But when you demand it or feel slighted when you don't get it, then it just spirals down in lots of different directions. I think the other issue is, uh, I, you know, the pandemic was a stressor in all of our lives, still is in some ways. It's, you know, it's like, it's like the, the lighter fluid on a, a flame of, of marriages that are tough and struggling. And you just light that in. You put people in together in closed houses for a long time. Struggles. I'm just telling you, a lot have come our way. Jesse and I have struggled at times in this class festival years, right? Because marriage is hard. Because we're sinners. But here's what it is. I, I, I'm actually beginning a series with the, the youth about marriage and sex and about the purpose and the why and the foundation. And this is part of it. It's about this love, this self-giving love that this, you see, here's the starting point for you to understand about your marriage. Your marriage is actually not about the two of you. And the sooner you learn that, the better off you are. Your marriage is actually meant to be a pointer to the eternal marriage. How God loves his bride and how his bride loves his, her groom. How God loves his people and his people love. That's what it's supposed to be. That's why God gives us marriage as a pointer. I mean, it's a good blessing to have, but ultimately it is a temporal thing that points to an eternal thing. But that's not what we think every day about our marriage, is it? It's about us. It's about me. Marriage is meant to be between a man and a woman, self-giving to each other, emotionally, spiritually, physically, laying down your lives for each other. Imagine two people both of their wants and both their wills, laying down them to each other. Does anything get accomplished? It doesn't think so by the world standard, right? Well, then no one's doing anything if you're just waiting to like do, like, both of you are like, well, I'm just going to do what you want. Like, I mean, that's not what I'm saying. But, it's, but, but here's, the, here's the paradox. That is actually the only way things happen. That is the only way when two people are laying down your life. Marriage is not a relationship about compromise. It's not a relationship about compromise. It's a relationship that's motivated by love that lays down your life for the other. I love my wife. But the best way I love my wife is first and foremost, I love God. 
That doesn't mean I ignore my wife. That means the only way I can actually truly love is begin to follow my shepherd's voice and follow his way, which is his self-giving love. Then I can actually love my wife and she can love me. We get, we get to this passage in, a, in a passage in Ephesians 5, 25, 28, which we're, some of us are familiar with, right? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing of the water and the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves himself Loves his wife, loves himself. Now, here's, here's the thing. Uh, I cannot make my wife holy. That's not what this passage is saying. I cannot save my wife. I cannot make my wife righteous. That's not what it's saying. It's saying, love my wife as my own body because we are one. Lay down my life as Christ has laid down his life for his bride. I will lay down my wife. Now, here's the thing. I can go through lots of different scriptures and understand that this is not only men have to lay down their life for their wives. This is not excluding wives laying down your life for your husbands. I could examine this passage a little bit more, context of the rest of scripture, because all of us, all of us are called to lay down your lives, because that's what love is, self-giving to our neighbors. Just your marriage, whether as a husband, as a wife, this is is a a model, a image, a metaphor for the world to understand how God loves his bride. If you love the shepherd, you will love the spouse in this way. You will obey him. But say, I'm not married. Doesn't, this practical example doesn't apply to me. Here's the thing. If you are God's child, you are married to him. Because, and you're in the eternal marriage. Because human marriage is just a pointer. You don't have to have, be in a human marriage to actually be in the eternal marriage. Doesn't, it's not required. One is eternal, one's temporary. All the temporary ones help point everyone to the eternal one. You are married. You are the bride of Christ. This is, some, this is a little side tangent. I want. We, in Western culture, in America, in particularly in New England, this is what we think. When we come together, we think we are a gathering of a bunch of selves. Think about how this plays out in our life. So it is a consumer mindset. What do I want? What do I get? What am I receiving? Now that may, some of you, that may sound like your marriages. It may sound like your relationship. You're a a gathering of selves. In a marriage, you are not a gathering of selves. You are one flesh. Here's the thing. When we come together as a church, we are not a gathering of a bunch of individuals. We are a gathering of the bride of God. Christ. That's the language scripture uses. We are one body. Let's think about the practical applications of this. When we corporately gather, it's not about you. It's about us. How that might change how you corporately gather. How might that change how you think about, well, do I come to church today? Do I gather and study with other people? It's not about you. It's about his bride. 
us together, the sheep together in the fold. In our relationship with Jesus, we are becoming one together with him. Together as the sheep, we know him. We know his voice. We know his voice together. And we actually help each other know his voice. Some of us that are falling asleep, we kind of, he's talking. (laughs) Right? And together, the bride of Christ, we obey. Some of us that are straying off, the rest of us can help gather in. Come, follow him. If the Lord is our shepherd and we are his sheep, we know his voice. We know him intimately. We know his word. We know his love. We know him. And we obey him. We live out his character. We live out his way of love. We live out love. You see, brothers and sisters, fellow sheep, this is the way. This is the life. And this is the truth. This is Jesus, our good shepherd. And only through him do we enter and do we exit. He is the door. He is our door. And he is our shepherd. Let us pray. Gracious Father, loving Lord, help us today to begin to learn to know what your love is how you love us individually and the body of Christ. Lord, there are so many voices and so many ways and so many things that we think of that are not your voice, Lord. Help us to flee from those voices and help us to follow you and obey you because we know that you love us. Bring clarity in our life, Lord. Help us as the sheep to encourage other sheep to follow the shepherd, to hear the shepherd. In that way, Lord, we are all under shepherds. Guide us in this ministry and guide us in your way of love. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people say, Amen. Amen.